Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Health Boston. Telling stories is what I do, and sometimes you come across the sad ones. And the life lessons we learn from them are just as important as the happy ones, maybe even more so. Why? Well, because adversity is a great teacher. There's a lot we can learn from our grief, and the woman you are about to meet knows all about it. She has experienced traumatic loss multiple times throughout her life and is now living with what she says is a broken heart. She chronicles her losses in the book Reminiscing La Vie and Rose, a memoir of true stories. And guess what? It's filled with humor, too, heartbreak, and lots of inspiration. Faith and family have always sustained this exceptional woman. After years of unwinding trauma, writing has become her vehicle to express this emotional journey. Molly Hannah Glidden believes that strength and hope come from putting one foot in front of the other, and surviving another day. This is her story. Molly, welcome to the story behind her success. Thank you for having me, Candy. It's so good to see you. And truth be told, you and I have known each other for about 15 years. Yes, I was trying to do have. the math on it. We have. And I never knew that Molly was your nickname. It was my nickname. You and were, I wanted it to be my real name. <laughs> you, uh, you were born into a big Irish Catholic family. Your birth name was Mary. It was. Can you take us back to that time in your life? It was a simpler time, wasn't it? It was very simple back then. When I think of my name as Mary, I never really heard it at home. There was a big, large family, and it wasn't until I met the nuns in first grade that they said to me, no, uh, we're not going to use Molly, which is your home name. We're going to stick with Mary here. Paint me a picture of your house. Lots of kids running around. Yes. Uh, you grew up in a small town called Natick, Massachusetts. Take us back to that time in your life. Well, it was really wonderful back then. You know, everybody was doing their own thing. And my mother mostly was doing all the work at home, which they did in those days. Dad was more of the disciplinarian. We looked out after each other. We just always uh, took care of each other. And we had very good parents. We were very lucky. Your mother gave birth to twins, she and did. one of them died at eight months. You were in the second grade, Yes, your first of many brushes that with death. Yes. What do you remember about that day and your family's reaction to the loss of, of a child named Judith, but her nickname was Jill? Well, I remember mostly the sadness that just surrounded my home. Of course, at that age, you don't retain a lot, but you know, all of a sudden, she wasn't there anymore, and it was... Not something anybody would talk about. My parents tried to protect us from the fact that she had passed away. My dad did try to talk to us and said she was with the angels, and there was a lot of expression of someday we'll all be together. And it's, that's when I started believing in my faith that someday I'm going to be up with the angels. And that's, I started my beliefs back then. You married very young. Can you talk about your first husband and the birth of your daughter, Laura? Yes, we were young. We were right out of high school, I got married, and I had my daughter right away. My husband worked hard. Everything was secondhand. It wasn't easy. We made it through for nine or ten years. Being in the 60s, there was a lot of freedom, and my husband did his own thing, and it, our values just weren't the same. We weren't the same. So after working hard at the marriage, we decided that we couldn't go on any further. And I really believed, I didn't know it at the time, but my husband suffered from depression and he didn't 
have good contact with my daughter in the way that I felt was normal. When he walked away, he walked away with a woman who I think there was jealousy, and she moved out of state with him, had two children, and none of them ever looked back. And it was sad for my daughter. It's so sad because it Mm -hmm. feels almost as if he started a whole new life and it didn't include Laura. It didn't include her. Describe Laura's personality to our listeners because there are lots of fun stories. Boy, did she walk early, like Uh, seven and a half or eight months, right? Tell us a little bit about your girl. She kept me busy. She, um, She walked really at seven and a half months. I couldn't believe it. She was determined. I caught her on a bike one day. It was a, a neighbor's bike, and it was four times taller than her. And it <laughs> so had she the was finger fearless. brakes, and she fearless. She was standing <laughs> up on the on the bottom without being able to sit, riding down a hill, and that was my first scare. Yeah, you know. So, but she was really outgoing, right? She was outgoing. and loved a good yes. conversation. Even yeah, she really did. She had a great personality. She really did. Your sister Martha and you were also very close, mm-hmm. and you lost her before yes. her 25th birthday. Yes. We both married young, and so we both had girls. She had two girls. I had one girl. We developed a really good relationship. Unfortunately, her marriage didn't work. Something was going on with Martha. And when I look back now, the terrible things people have, sometimes mental illness is, creeps in, and, and you realize this depression and anxiety. And she just wasn't coping well, but the sweetest personality. I miss her like crazy today. She decided to come over to my house, and I don't know whether she was trying to be saved by me, but she took the wrong medicine. And I spoke with doctors afterwards, and they said, had she taken anything else, she would have survived. But she took a medicine that a doctor prescribed her that sticks like glue in the stomach. You can't pump it out. She was in the hospital 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, and it didn't work. She had brain damage, and the whole family walked day and night over to the ICU to see my sister, who we knew was not going to make it. I know she came to me for comfort. It was comfort she was coming for. You know, in the book, you tell the story about how she she literally had almost like a vacant look on her face when she got to your house that day. Yes. And you were making dinner, and she excused herself, went in the bathroom, and took a whole bottle of pills. Yes. And within a few days, after many attempts to save her life, yeah. she was dead. She was gone. Not yeah. even 25. Such a stigma about mental illness. You know, you've already shared the fact yes. that your first husband probably suffered from depression. Clearly, Martha mm-hmm. was depressed. Yes. But back then, boy, if you think there's a stigma around mental illness oh. now, nobody no. talked about it. It wasn't talked at all. There was shame in the whole town. Yeah. In that whole town in Natick, there must have been seven or eight at the same time of the kids the same age in the 20, early 20s. And we couldn't believe that it was like it was like a cluster of them. I'll never forget that. You know, you've mentioned that you felt like maybe it was your fault that you should have done oh, something. Yeah. How did you handle that loss of Martha in your life? I think this is how I developed my writing because I could not speak. I could not do You didn't talk about it in those days. So writing became my thing. I'd sit down and write letters and almost like journaling. Yes, journaling. My aunt, ironically, when I was a little kid, told me that, you know, it was very important to write things down when, when you, you weren't happy. And that's when I got my little diary in a little box she gave me to put paper in. And anytime I didn't feel good, just write things down. And when I did that, I always felt safe after I did it. And I felt 
better after I did it. Then there became a time when you went to school and things quieted down in your life and writing became boring because it was about school. But writing's always been like a salvation it's for you. It's been there in the corner where if something was really bothering me, I could find a way through my writing. So in the second grade, we lose our little baby sister. Mm-hmm. Our sister kills herself. Mm-hmm. And then your marriage ends. He kills himself. He called me up. I hadn't heard from him for 12 years. And I didn't like the sound of his voice. So I said, you know, are you all right, Lloyd? And he said, well, I need to talk to Laura. And I said, please, I'll give you her number. She would love to talk to you. And he said, well, I got a better idea. Give her a message. Tell her I love her. And I says, please come out here, um, Lloyd. I think she'd really want to see you. I felt in my heart, I know what suicide is. I know that feeling when somebody's lost and I sensed it. I tried so hard to talk with him for about 20 minutes. I got a call from his wife the next morning and said, I needed to call you, Molly. You need to talk to your daughter. Lloyd last night shot himself at 12.15, and I had just gotten off the phone with him. So again, I was put in the position of somebody wanting to talk to me, and then their life ended. We do have a a video rolling in the studio, and if you want to watch our interview on YouTube, you'll be able to see Molly and I having this conversation. Molly, sometimes when things like this happen, one right Mm. after the other, how do you save yourself from not falling apart? I don't know where my strength comes from, except through my faith and through my family support. I get up every day and I say, why, God? My dad used to say, you know, Molly, our family, it's like the Kennedy family. It's like a curse. It just, things happen and we lose our loved ones along the way. It's unbelievable. Your oldest brother. Yes. Georgie. Mm -hmm. My my big brother that I love dearly. Was a Massachusetts state trooper. Yes. He was killed when he was 36 years old, married, father of three small children. This is a very, very tragic and famous news story here in Massachusetts and actually across the country. He was shot in the line of duty in 1984. He was. For many years, you could not talk about his murder. I actually had panic attacks. I couldn't breathe when I would have to talk about it. You know, once they shot him, my brother tried to go to the car and call in. They jumped on his back and shot him directly three, four times. Because of these three men, our family endured three horrendous trials, you know, where they showed the uniform all bloodied. And we couldn't allow my mother to go, but I sat with my dad through the whole three trials in Worcester. And what was the outcome of the trials? Well, they were all uh, life in prison. My dad had fought very hard for the death penalty because... He used to say, we're going to lose the line of our first defense if we don't stop what's happening here and and put some fear into the law. He was very outspoken and seen on television many, 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 many times. There is an award that is given every year in Massachusetts, and I've been honored to join your family for one year to see this. And it is for those who show bravery in the line of duty Mm -hmm. and the same kind of bravery that George Hanna showed. Can you tell us about the award? The award's wonderful because anybody who has had any action, saved a life, it can be a police officer, right? A firefighter or EMT, anyone for bravery. Last year, two officers were killed. My two nieces who go in every single year to give these medals to place them over their necks. They're George's daughters. George's daughters. They 
called me after, and they said that was one of the saddest ones to go to because to see the families and the look in their eyes, it was the same feelings that I felt. How did your daughter, Laura, handle as a child the loss of her uncle in such a horrific way? How do you explain murder to a child? I always felt my daughter got lost in the family when this was going on. Even when Martha was killed, my sister, she was there, but I was so traumatized I couldn't be a mother during those traumatic times. And I see pictures of Laura standing sort of behind, you know, and I just couldn't comfort her because I couldn't comfort myself. But she was strong and she, you know, once crowds went away, the two of us talked and she did the best she could. She never understood why so many bad things happened in our family. You know, when you're a single mom... And you've got one child, and it's a daughter. Yeah. Boy, are you close. The two of you were like two little peas in a pod. I lost my friend, yep. In your book, you describe yourself as the strong one in your family, Mm -hmm. the person everyone could lean on. Mm -hmm. And yet, I believe that took a really strong toll on you. When you look back on it, what do you see? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends, too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. Yeah, there's no question about it. Things come out in illnesses in different ways. I kept so much in because I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be there for my dad. I wanted to be there for all the family that, you know, when anything happened, I was always there. I would always lay in bed and think about it. And yeah, the, the toll is tremendous, tremendous. Well, in fact, there's a couple things that are a result of this. You used to have a lot of panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And now we know that you have a heart problem called SVT. Can you talk Correct. a little bit about that? And do you think it was always related to all these panic attacks? They don't know how that happens because it's an arrhythmia problem. I did notice that they started actually showing themselves in, in my 40s. What does SVT stand for? And tell us a little bit about this. Superventricular tachycardia. It's not dangerous. The only problem is when you get older and your heart beats at 400 beats a minute for hours, it wears the heart down, unless you have an underlying condition and then it can be harmful. What do they do when that happens to you? We tried the medicines first, and they got to know me at the ER in the Natick Hospital by my first name because I was going to get that stuff injected in my arm to stop it. I walked out one day and says, well, you know what? I'm getting too familiar around this place, (laughs) so I'm going to go home, and I'm going to look into having that ablation that I had read about. So what is the ablation? What do they do? Ablation, they put you on a table. They put catheters up there, and they have a some kind of a prong. I don't know how they do it, but you you can lay awake and watch the whole thing. And for three and a half hours, that's what I did. I watched the whole thing. They race your heart, they pace it, and they get it up to where it starts going into the SVT. They have a little 
instrument that will burn those areas because they have to burn those cells that are causing irregular action. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. The doctor that did this stood behind a wall, and I never realized, but he had cancer. And he was just so wonderful to me. He'd come out in the middle of all the radiation being done, and he'd have he'd put his hand on my on your carotid, carotid artery on your to carotid keep, artery. Yes, yeah. That's right to try to get the heartbeat back wow. to normal. The amazing thing is, this wonderful nurse came over after I was all done. I was laying there for three hours and knew I had to lay for another six hours, totally still on my back. And it wasn't easy for me to do. She came over to me and she says, "Molly, I want to tell you something." She said, you just did three marathons. That's <laughs> the I equivalent for your heart, that right? That was the equivalent of the heart speed. And I thought, wow, and I didn't even break out a sweat. So, I mean, Well, you have a stronger heart than you even yeah, realize, I, right? I, Emotionally sure. and physically, yeah, too. For sure, so far. <laughs> Let's talk about a happy moment in your yeah, life. And please. that is meeting your second husband, oh, Bill, who yeah, happens he's... to be sitting out in our waiting room right now. <laughs> yeah. You've said that you got it right the second time. I got it right. He he's, is your soulmate. Let's he, talk about Bill. Yeah, he's been wonderful to me. He's always been there. He was been been there for Laura. We have two wonderful grandchildren, and um, he's been good to them always. And we just have this relationship. We don't have to say anything. He's just so supportive, and he knows what to do before I say anything. <laughs> and that's always a wonderful thing. He's he's great. Along the way, and I know that as a child, you used to tell your mom, you know, something was wrong down there. You know, you had urinary tract infections Mm -hmm. all the time. And in your adulthood, this turned into a disease with a nickname, IC. Is it interstitial? Cystitis. Interstitial cystitis. Cystitis. Can you tell us what IC is? IC can be a very devastating chronic illness. it, It doesn't kill you. I can tell you I ran a large group for over 10 years, and it was the largest in the country. I just knew people needed a place to go and to talk about this disease that the doctors had no optimal treatment. It was unbelievable. It was like a support group, right? It was a support group. We would have doctors once a year at the forums, and it was very educational, but mostly it was supportive. I got to say that during the 10-year period, three people commit suicide with having this disease because... Each person, it affects differently. Like all diseases, it affects differently. There was one gentleman that uh, used to call me all the time and say, you know, I can't take this pain, and I I know it's different than yours, but I don't know what to do. And I turned him on to a doctor who it worked for a while, and I got another call, and he was unhappy, and I listened, and I did the best I could. When the fall forum was coming that year, I thought of him, and I said, gee, you know, I haven't heard from him. And that's when I made a call to his office because he used to call me from work. He had his own business. I asked the lady if I could speak with him, and she got very quiet. She said, I wasn't sure she was going to tell me anything. And I said, would you help me with this? I said, I was worried about him during the summer, and I wanted to know how he was doing. And her answer was, well, Molly, he got in his brand-new SUV one day and uh, he just went off into the woods at 100 miles an hour and never put his foot on the brake. His car blew up when it hit a tree. And I saw the picture in the paper of that whole incident, and I thought I couldn't help him. And I felt really sad. It's another situation I couldn't help. And I, I knew him, and I just didn't know what I was going to do. And so I kept on doing this, and that's when the SVT started kicking in when I was standing up at the podium. And I thought, no, oh, I can't be doing this anymore because I have to take care of this. So sure you this- were actually having... 
having an arrhythmia yeah. from yeah. your heart while you're standing Stand up at the podium, the podium trying to do a good deed <laughs> yeah. for people who have interstitial yeah, cystitis right. like you do. Right. What happens to a person with IC? It can affect the whole pelvic area. I mean, everybody's different. Some people have just frequency, but it's constant. It keeps them up all night. Some people have pain without frequency or both. The pain is in the pelvic area. The bladder is filled with nerves, and it's like the emotional side of your brain will re respond to that. That's why when you have to go to the bathroom, you respond to that immediately. So when it's in pain, it's an awful pain. When you break your arm, you know it's going to be over, it's going to heal. But when it comes to your bladder, it's different. Dr. Kevorkian, they had a movie of him after he passed away. Two people that he helped take their life was they both had IC. They couldn't live with it. That's how bad it was. It also affects a person's ability to be intimate. Is that, that not true? In, in, with not all of them, you know, it just depends. But with... with and with, so there you go. Yeah, so so not only are you dealing with a constant pain, but if you're in a loving relationship, yeah. you can't even get the yeah. relief of having, yeah, that's uh, you know, sex with someone that you love, <laughs> yeah, right? It had worked itself out for me. I was pretty lucky. As parents... Mm -hmm. We want to do anything we can to take away our children's pain. Yes. And your daughter experienced so much loss in her life yeah. as well. She did. In her 40s, she also developed an illness mm -hmm. that is a heart disease, a pulmonary disease. Pul a pulmonary hypertension. And she had other things. She had Lyme. I don't, they're not even sure which, whether it was Lyme's disease or the newer kind, but she was really suffering. She had fibromyalgia and just, and in, like you say, Candy, who knows if all the trauma in her life came out in this way, but she suffered and my heart was broken even before she passed away because she knew how to laugh. She never would say on the phone, oh, this is terrible. This is, she would say, hi, mom. Well, yeah, I'm feeling a little depressed today, but you know, I know the sun's coming out tomorrow. <laughs> That's how she always thought. There's something about losing your child. Yes. Before you die, oh. we would do anything to turn the tables. Take me. Don't yeah. take my child. Right. Even right. if she's 49 years old, she's your baby. She is. That's why no matter what age they are, when they die at that age, your future is gone because that person is no longer there. You know, you know that piece of you. You mentioned in your book that after all the adversity that you had gone through, all the loss from the time you were a little girl, mm -hmm. people dying all over the place, suicides all over the place, trying to help people who die, mm -hmm. who end up taking their own lives. You say in your book, this loss was the one I just didn't think I could get past. I, I just, I really didn't think this time, I didn't know how or why or what, but I, di I didn't think I was going to make it. The day after the funeral, I got up, I started Going through the motions of making my bed, I felt nothing. I looked out my window, and there was a beautiful red cardinal just flapping his wings, and I thought, oh, that's a cardinal. So I continued making my bed, and he was annoying me. I finally said, no, no, wait a minute. Cardinals, they come to you in spirit. So I went and sat at the end of the bed, and there he was. looking. We were looking at each other, and you know, Candy, after that, I felt my faith coming back, and that somehow she was going to come to me, I was going to be able to get through this. And that cardinal is, today I still get little stories of them. 
In fact, as part of the book, Reminiscing La Vie en Rose, there is a chapter which is called The Red-Winged Visitor. And that particular story has also been featured in Grief Digest magazine. That's correct. There have been many visits by the red-winged bird, have there not? They have, and they still come. And now my gratitude is coming this way. I have a bird feeder on the window, and a male and a female sit and have lunch with me every single day, so I'm paying them back for what they've done for me. At one point, as a very young woman, about 20 years old, before you had even had her, Mm -hmm. you had a dream about losing a daughter. Yes, I did. I never got over that dream either. The only part of the dream I remember is that I was standing on ice and I was looking down and her face was looking up at me under the ice with her eyes fro everything was frozen open. I woke up from that dream, but it was that vivid and that's in the fact that it woke me up is why I remembered it. And I often wondered this is is this Is this a premonition? A premonition. And recently you had a dream. I had a visitation. There's Tell me. No question about it. Again, it reaffirmed my faith that God's letting me know. I was down in Duxbury. It was only four months, and I was still in a lot of pain. And I kept saying to myself, why didn't I hug my daughter more? You know how you have these sort of regrets. In the dream, her arms came way down in the brightest, brightest light. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life in her face. You know how they've said in many of these afterlife situations that the face is young at a certain age. That perfect age where where you don't even need to wear makeup. Yeah, she was there. Her face was just glorious. She looked like an angel. I woke up scared from that too, but it made me realize those long arms meant, Mom, this is the biggest hug ever. There may be someone who is listening to us right now, and they are experiencing Mm -hmm. the freshness of a deep loss. How did you get through it, and what advice can you give to someone who's experiencing this? I couldn't get through it without my faith, my family, and knowing that I wasn't alone. I found myself searching for these groups, just as I did when I had interstitial cystitis. I have to feel the pain of other mothers so that I know that I'm going to be able to make it through this. And I tell everybody, don't let anybody tell you to get over your grief, to, to move on. Nobody grieves the same. Everybody grieves differently, and you're allowed to. So don't let anybody take that away. I had a very wise priest say this to me once, and I wanted to pass it along to you. He said, the amount we grieve is always equal to the amount we have loved. Absolutely. And so when you have loved someone deeply, yeah. how could you ever expect to get over it quickly? It doesn't happen. With a child. And does it ever happen? I, no, you know, Do you no. ever get over the loss of someone in your life? No, you really don't. And I got to tell you that a child is even different. The pain goes deeper. It's into your soul and into your heart. I've never before, through all my losses, I got up and I did what I was supposed to do. But when I lost my daughter, sometimes I'm in the house and I scream when I think of her never seeing her again. How awful that is to never see her again. And I have to let out a little scream and be grateful my windows are down in the house. (laughs) What has been the biggest lesson for you? The lesson of life? Yeah. I don't know. Did God give me this life to make me strong and get through all the adversities? He had to do it this way. I don't know. I'll never know. But I hope one day I get to ask him. (laughs) 
What is mother love? Mother love is unconditional. It's a bond that can't be broken. People struggle with what to say when someone dies. They really do. Every person has looked at me and said, I can't imagine. And then when I look at their face, it's like looking at a deer in the headlights. They truly don't know what to say. And I was in the same place one time. I understand. I always find by changing the conversation, saying, yeah, I'm hanging in there, is about the best thing to do at the time, because people don't really know how to handle sometimes the grief. There are so many lines in your book that I love, but one of them is, by sharing your strength to be a survivalist, you have given people a roadmap of how to get through adversity. Is adversity a great teacher? When these things happen, you say why, but you know, when things happen again, you're ready because you've done it. You've done it. It's like climbing a mountain. I'm okay. I'm almost there. Maybe the next time it's through adversity that you get your strength. In the very beginning of our conversation, I described the book as a memoir that's filled with humor and heartbreak and inspiration. And one of the reasons why it is filled with humor is because you decided that, you know, when we all look at our past, particularly when we look at our childhood, we can sometimes look back and see our lives through rose-colored glasses. That's it, yes. Tell me yes. about that. The brain lets that nostalgia come back in a really happy, healthy way. I enjoy going back in time now because I have a lot of people waiting for me. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Well, first I kick it. <laughs> No, when an obstacle gets in my way, I try to I try to not look at it like an obstacle. I try to say, I can figure this out. The only obstacle I can say that's been the hardest in my life is losing my daughter. There's no other obstacle that was as hard as that. Every single day I get up and say, I just hope I see another day because my heart is with her, although I have a lovely husband that's keeping me here. And I have to also say, I have two beautiful grandchildren, so I'll climb any obstacle to keep them in my life. They're wonderful, wonderful kids. You know, success means different things to different people at different times in mm -hmm. their lives. Mm -hmm. And this story of heartbreak and yet survival has me asking you the question, how do you define success? What, what is success for you now? Success for me is just making sure that when I get up every day, I find a purpose in life. It has to be a purpose. And then, if that's there, I can reach out and help others that are going through the same. That's my success. Molly, Hannah, Glidden, my good friend, I'm so glad we finally got a chance to sit down together and tell your story. Absolutely. And it leaves me breathless because you have accomplished so many things in your life. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?